I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Matters. And my guest tonight is really right across the other side of the world. So it's very early morning and it's hello to Sarah Dreifert. And Sarah has um, an amazing smile on her face at the moment, not only because I have pronounced her surname correctly, which is uh, which is always a thing when you interview people, you actually don't want to get off to a bad start, but also because she has the most amazing new book out. So that's what we're going to talk about Now, Thriving Matters podcast is all about ordinary guys and gals like you and I doing extraordinary things. And so I have had the absolute pleasure of going around the world, not just during the pandemic, but before that, talking to people who are doing the most amazing things in their life because they are passionate about it. They really feel compelled to share what they're doing and they actually want to leave something behind them. They want to. They sort of want to flap their butterfly wings and get it round. So, Sarah, you are very welcome. Hello mm-hmm. from Sydney, and we're 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 alive in the Netherlands. Is that right? <laughs> I guess you are. I guess you are. Good to possibly be watching, but awesome, lovely, lovely to see you, Carrie. Hi. Now, Sarah is one of those amazing girls, and you know whether she's been uh, working in corporate America or living with Indigenous tribes or teaching some of the poorest children in the world. Um, She uh, is absolutely dedicated to finding connections and avoiding rejection. And we're going to hear that coming through in all things thriving that we're talking about today. So, Sarah, before I even say to you, give us a little bit more of a potted, um, you know, pricey about who Sarah is, I'm going to say to you, what puts that beautiful smile on your face most days? <laughs> um, yeah, where to start? Um, well, the beautiful smile only comes when I think we're grateful for what we have, right? So, uh, and uh, I think you know, looking looking on what we have and how lucky we are, and I think the connections we have is, is a huge part of that. Uh, I know it's one of the quotes I gave you. And <clears throat> Well, excuse me, a dear friend the other day said it, but I actually wrote in an email and he requoted it. And it was a pretty good quote because you asked for quotes. So it was, you know, the richness of, in, of our lives comes in large part from the, the depth of our connection. So I think, you know, that who we have, as, as we know from these studies done by Harvard, the longitudinal studies, you know, our happiness comes from who we connect with and the quality of our relationships. And that will determine how well you are, how happy you are, how long you live to a large degree. So, yeah, I think for me that that's a huge one. And this book has been a huge part of that journey um, coming from being, I'm afraid to use the term, but full-time mum, uh, stay-at-home mum, it's, it's okay, stay-at-home mum to coming back out into the world. Um, yeah, writing this book made an awful lot of new friends and that's been, yeah, very, very enriching and special. That is a things put a smile on my face (laughs) (laughs) well that's a great segue into let's tell everybody about the book now I I have um I had the absolute uh, privilege thank you Sarah of of doing a testimonial for you so uh, gender dimensions in leadership I don't think there's been a better time to actually write this book publish it and have it launched um, at the moment, when we have uh, a huge disruption uh, around the world, where we have a lot of people seeking um, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and leadership is absolutely in the limelight. Now, we can, I don't necessarily need to get political. However, we will all have an opinion on the leaders that we have in our own countries, 
in our own families, in our own organisations. But ultimately, we're looking at a world now that has, has been changed, I believe, um, from what our parents have known and the previous generation before us. Uh, and I think we're, we're actually on the cusp of something that's really quite different. So I think your book has arrived right at the right time. What would you say to that? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think this has always been necessary. But, yeah, we, we have such a movement right now, not to sound too activistic, but I think mm. so many people are fed up and so many people want solutions and so many people expect that from leaders. And I think predominantly, yeah, despite the, the word gender, which is unfortunately in some ways unfortunate but necessary in the title of this book, this book really is about leadership because yeah. I am very strongly of the opinion that oh, there's an awful lot of rhetoric out there about how amazing women are, how terrible men are, how uh, you know, we gender leadership. And, and unfortunately, historically, traditionally, certain, not, not in our far, far past, by the way, in ancient times, it was different again, right? We're still evolving. Mm -hmm. But in the last uh, few hundred years, years, it's been very much the patriarchy and the man's world. And leadership has become stereotyped with maleness, whatever that means. So uh, it's really unpicking that and what that means and why when we gender leadership, we then make this mistake of then choosing male leaders and we choose skills and traits that we perceive to lead leadership traits that have absolutely nothing to do with leadership. So confidence and brashness and loudness and all these other things, you know, you basically need to be big, tall, white, walk into a room and you're a leader, right? And that is how it is, and, and male. Um, so this book, having said all that, this book is absolutely not about bashing men. And this book is absolutely not about women are amazing because I think you and my Carrie, we, we share the opinion. <laughs> we certainly don't believe that. And I don't think anybody on this planet can. There are, you know, people are people. People are unique and amazing. And some are men, some are women, some identify in another way with gender, which is another th important thing about this book. While we have gender as this binary, men, women, and men are supposed to be like this, and men, women are supposed to be like this, and we have this expectation in society of how we should show up. You know, the reason I've dawned in makeup this morning, and you are too, uh, I really couldn't be bothered. But, you know, we have to do that, right, to, to be seen, to be taking our place and role in society. All this stuff gets in the way, potentially, of what it's really about, about is we need strong leaders who can be of any gender, uh, but the, the important thing is what is leadership? And it's about taking care of people. It's about stepping up. And, and I think we need more people to step up and be responsible. You don't necessarily to have some big fancy title to be a leader. And, and I think we've seen there aren't many of those that are very good leaders. Uh, you need to step up and take responsibility for your community, for your yeah. family, for the people in your world. So this book is a lot about that. It's about the psychology behind why we behave, why we do. It's a lot about gender norms and how they can really... Uh, trickers and and get us in uncomfortable places and it's a lot about identity and belonging which I think are really hugely important anyway but hugely important now because we we don't live very healthily as humans we don't live in healthy groups anymore and it's very bad for us psychologically so well, it unpicks a lot of things it, it has. Um, I'm really interested in the psychological base that you've got in the book as well. Uh, you've you've looked at a number of meta studies. Uh, you've done a lot of whole, whole lot of research on it, and I'm I'm an advocate for the best person for the job, not whether you're male or female. Mm -hmm. um, but I also I'm a Liberan, so I can actually balance out my viewpoint. I can I can probably argue for both both. Well, many points of view like most of us can um, but I really believe that it should be the best person for the job but I also know that opportunity should be open to everybody to develop their skills as well mm -hmm. so you're going to have to excuse me I've got a little bit of hay fever today we've got these really hot winds running so just Sarah tell me what has there been a leader in your life that has made an, a huge impact on the way you look at gender and leadership. Mm. Um, uh, there's been a, there's been a lot. I think um, 
I think also what affected how I've looked at this is, you know, I, I have to, we all have to look at our own conditioning, right? And so when, for some of us, when we talk about, oh, men are women like this, women are like that, there are so many of us just don't identify mm -hmm. that. Of course, I'm physically, I, I mean, women, what does that word even mean? It doesn't mean much to me. Um, it, you know, and, and I think a lot of that comes from, you know, I grew up with three older, three older brothers. And we didn't have a great deal of social contact outside of that. So I, um, you know, I watched what they do. I learned how they behaved and I, I followed suit, no doubt. And then there was this expectation on me to be different, right? I was supposed to like dollies, which I truly hated. <laughs> and I had to have this pram that I truly hated. And, yep. uh, you know, I love teddy bears and I love caring and I loved animals, but lots of things I didn't love. I loved my action man and... Yeah, you know, you're fitting in, right? You're fitting in with the people you can play with. And so being in, and being the youngest, I observed, you know, I think you're in many advantages of the youngest. You kind of get sidelined, but you also get to see all the mistakes made before you. So you, <laughs> you, you get uh, to learn a lot. So I think, you know, that's had a massive impact on me. Um, and then living in that traditional family, my mom never worked. My father always worked. The extremes of that and how bad that is for people, actually, you know, that's not good. And then realizing growing up, you know, when I became a career woman, I still couldn't identify with that. But I was absolutely a career woman. And I, I was absolutely somebody who thought, oh, of course, I can do that just because I'm female. So, of course, I had a lot of um, bias. I was very much working in Mel's world. I was working in sales. I was working in a technology space. Um, so, you know, you're surrounded by men who think they're very, mm. very um, so, and I know, having grown up, that they're not any good, or <laughs> they're not better. Sorry, that that sounds really. But they're not better, better. right? Yeah. And but not everybody is is learning that. So for me, it's like yeah, it was an equal playing field. But I observed it wasn't an equal playing field, so that was quite easy to pick up on. Mm -hmm. um, and the other aspect to this is this: where are we where are we putting emphasis on caring or on taking charge? You know, somebody could easily bullishly walk into the room and suddenly it's like all our eyes are upon. But what's actually coming out of the mouth? Nothing particularly of substance, but apparently that that aura of whatever that is, is apparently enough to, to carry the day. And the great thing about sales is you're constantly measured. You know, a lot of the corporate world, yeah. you don't measure things. We never know. And this is also a great disservice to people. Now, in sales, it's very clear. And it was always very clear. I was always, I was always right up there. So that, of course, does an awful lot uh, for your confidence and for how you come across. And you could see very clearly then all the biases and the stereotypes that take place. But on the flip side, it's exactly the same for men. And this is also what the book talks about, because we, we talk about, oh, it's all affecting one, one set. But mm -hmm. stereotyping affects everybody. You know, the fact that that man has to walk into the room and be seen as the best and seen to have the presence and the leader. Mm -hmm. That's also a bias. That's also a stereotype. And that puts a lot of pressure on men and is feeding into these masculine gender norms, which are also not healthy for us. That's so um, I think I went totally off on a tangent, Carrie. I tend to do that. But <laughs> I've had the example of my brothers. I've had the example. Of, I've had the 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 sense of not feeling different, recognizing yeah. that people are seeing it's different, but not, not seeing it for myself. I had a lot of really good, uh, yeah, I, I mean, they were, they were all male. I had some wonderful male teachers who really believed in my abilities. And that was uh, very, very powerful for me at times when it was not easy. It was not easy at school. I grew up in a very rural place. I was the geeky, brainy girl. Um, so I was complete outcast. Label <laughs> already. So, yeah, you know, this is this is how it is. I have no problem being the geeky, geeky brainy girl now. Um, and I think going into the, the then the corporate space, yeah, you see you see wonderful people who just who take you as the essence of the person. Yeah, they don't yeah. care what you are in terms of how you look, what your gender is, all the rest. They just they they pull out the talent. And I think that's what leaders need to do for people. They believe in you and they see talent. And I think really wonderful leaders see that in everybody because I think yeah. everybody has that. And and why it's become so critical now, and it's always been critical, is we, we can't have these huge disparities of power now. We have to see the talent in these mm -hmm. underprivileged, uh, oppressed groups and people who are disadvantaged, people who are, uh, you know, in, in terms of recruitment and so on. It's not it's not always fair. We can talk about, yeah, of course I look for the best talent, but there are so many things baked into the systems that that does not happen. 
and people need to get realistic about their own behaviors um, and what they believe and really what they believe and how much that does yeah. affect who they choose and what they do and that that's a really you know behavioral change is the trickiest part but it's the only ah. place to go because um all this other system stuff yeah the, the behaviors will change the system yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the system needs to change as well but people's yeah, hearts and minds and souls and frankly need to change. You have to believe the person in front of you is is of huge value and talent because people are. It's as simple well, as that. You're talking about a long game, aren't you? You're not talking about something that can change overnight. It can be recognised. I mean, if we're looking at um, it's, a, it's a culture, a culture of, of equality, culture of inclusion, culture of diversity, um, and I, and I want to put, make sure respect's in there as well because for me it doesn't matter if you are black, white, yellow, spotted, striped, um, you know, curly hair, straight hair. Doesn't doesn't matter, male or female. It really doesn't matter. It's it's what qualities you bring for for the role of leader or the or working with other people. So the relationships are are the things that really matter here. So how do we how do we get those relationships to be the best that they possibly can be? And I think when we look at leadership, to be um, a leader at this time, you have to be relational. You can't be the dictator. You can't be the autocratic leader. You there, There's no longer a place for that. And we've seen what happens to those, that type of leadership. You you actually segregate your people. You, you, you start bringing up the walls between people. The hatred starts to bubble and hiss and become the norm. When in actual fact, most of us are very, very good people, I believe, intrinsically. And my language might be fairly simple, but for me, I think people are intrinsically good. Um, there would be a percentage of the population that have narcissistic tendencies, <laughs> and that, that shows out. But on the whole, given the opportunity with the right development and the right culture, the right environment, we can we can all be leaders within our own right. We don't all have to be the same. That's that's what I what I, what I think. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking now. Tell me one of the one of the things that surprised you whilst you were getting your book together, while you were developing it, writing it, developing it. Was there something that really surprised you about the process, or something that you learnt about yourself whilst you were doing this that perhaps you may have had an inkling? Uh, that you knew, but perhaps now is amplified. Um, oh my goodness! I think you learn so many things from going through a process like this. I think, you know, originally when it was suggested to me to write a book, it was kind of like very much, you know, this is what you do. You do some thought leadership. You stick it out there. And again, going back to the, <laughs> the interesting thing about gender, you know, I met people. It's like, oh yeah, I wrote my I wrote my book on the plane between here and uh, New York. And I think. Yes, you do. <laughs> I, get the, I get the mindset of that, the positive of those, like, yeah, of course you can knock something out and make it great. You can't knock much out in eight hours and make it really great. Sorry. But yeah, doesn't that typify a lot? <laughs> so uh, I think when I started it, you know, I had uh, spent many, many hours, days, months, I, I, I won't admit years, but probably, you know, swearing in the woods about how odd the, uh, how odd the world was and how little people took responsibility. You know, I watched my little boy going to school and, yeah, just kind of aghast sometimes at how people don't seem to see what's going on with children and, and see how much care they need. You know, they're kind of bundled off and shoved off and everybody goes to work and I'm thinking... <laughs> this isn't right um and and just the you know lack of leadership there lack of leadership in the community nobody's together nobody's doing much um so it it, it started in this this way of you know you're having lots of conversations with yourself i've done a couple of these women leadership courses which have been really fascinating about discovering why you know we have to understand uh we don't associate leadership with women so that women always have a double bind in leadership. You can show up as a leader, but you'll either be judged for not being nice enough. I run that risk all the time. Or you are, uh, you'll be respected, but not liked. So, and if you're too nice, then you won't be respected. So there's all this stuff going on. But ultimately, it's incongruent for women. And by the way, if women are successful, we also don't like them. So when all the, there's tons and tons of research oh. that shows this. So, you know, we have to get a grip and accept that and understand, well, what is that? Why, why is that? Um, 
you know, we have yeah. to. <laughs> Oh, we have we have bias within that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We make we so, make assumptions. Our intentions are, uh, and our assumptions are also fuel how we think about situations. And if we're not aware of it, um, it that can perpetuate. Just keeps continuing. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so going into the book, you know, I was sort of impassioned by all this stuff and my own binary situation where I had first of all this uh, very successful career. Coming to come to Holland, you know, completely financially dependent, had my investments, my properties, and then you get married and you decide to be a full-time mother, a stay-at-home mother, whatever the term is I'm supposed to use, and uh, it's all gone. You know, it's remarkable how people. It's remarkable how people think it's really okay to say, "Oh yeah, you're lucky to stay at home because your husband's rich," or, "Oh, the sports car and the drive," or, "Daddy will buy you." My people, neighbors would say to my little boy. Daddy will buy you a sports car like his when you grow up, which on so many levels, first of all, the sports car was mine. <laughs> Secondly, why would, why would Daddy buy him a sports car? <laughs> you know? So there's this stuff going on. I think it really, and, and of course, I choose to do things differently, all right? So we, yeah, I, I won't go there. But anyway, so writing the book, there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of frustration <laughs> coming into it. And then, you know, you take a step back, you start talking to people. I interviewed a lot of corporate leaders and you just heard the very superficial bias all the time. It doesn't go very deep with people. And one of the very clear things in the research was often corporate men have thought it was these things. Oh, it's babies. It's a lack of confidence, which is a classic, which I do not believe women lack, lack confidence. Women lack psychological space, space and safety. Imagine me and my community, everybody's saying, oh, you, you, you basically are a gold digger. You married your husband because he's rich. <laughs> the sports car in the drive is his. You, don't, you can't do anything but stay home because I don't know, you can't speak the language properly. Just, I mean, that's, that's how people are making you feel, right? And you choose you choose how to allow that in. But you know, if you're in a community where you're bringing up your small child, hoping to make it right for them, that yeah. matters. Community matters and whether you feel you belong or not matters. And so this other theme of, well, how do we look after people? How do we make people? So I myself was always very keen to, you know, I was often the class parent, so I'd make sure people all there. And when we moved to the international school, which was really essential for my son, as it turned out, and for me, um, you know, you've got all these diverse um, nationalities, people who can't speak English, all sorts. So I took on the role of let's make sure everybody feels loved and involved and, and built really lovely little communities for the children. And it's ultimately for the children, right? And if we yeah. do that as parents, we're leading yeah. in that uh, respect. So the book has a lot of these passionate ideas behind it, but it was, it was very much research-based, uh, based on these interviews, based on the research that's out there. And then... Um, you know, what I learned as well was, you know, the more people you talk to, the more perspectives and ideas you get. This is not a one-dimensional, two-dimensional binary thing. There's, there's so many aspects to this, and you've got to be broad enough to, to grasp that fact uh, and really dig into all the issues. So the book is very much, it is comprehensive, but it doesn't even begin because this is it's complex, but it can be simple. It's very much about take themes, discuss them. And, and when you discuss them, you build the bonds, you understand each other, you understand actually you're more on the same page. And the worst thing we can do is make assumptions about people, right? Mm -hmm. Either based on this or based on, you know, what we think the genitalia might be or anything else. You, you can't do that with people. It's, it's utterly disrespectful. Uh, and my, you know, I can laugh about my situation. I'm a white privileged woman, so what? I don't, I don't care either, but of course it matters. I'm, I'm still a human being. Earth, we need to but you know for other people yeah. it's way 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 bigger and, yeah. and we have to understand that we have to understand these people who are often oppressed and pushed out they have so many more skills they are so more enriched they have had so much more life experience because of these because of had, having to build resilience and grit and stuff these are the people we want as our leaders we we need to step aside and have some of these amazing people in these positions not somebody who's been given it all on a plate and doesn't even know how to talk respectfully to the the, the person standing next yeah. to them who's giving them, you know, uh, a scientific facts that we all know are true. So, you, you know, we have to get real, and we have to, as a group, get real about this situation as a group and not sort of pandy to the bullies. This is the other thing, you know, with the school um, experience. Um, you know, what I noticed as well, this, this bullying phenomenon, and bullying is not about a bully and a victim. Bullying is, about, is a group phenomenon. 
people need to step up as a group and, and deal with this. Say, no, we don't accept all that. We don't accept the behavior from the bully. We don't allow that for the victim. And, and if society worked more like this, we'd be in much better shape. And that's where we need to get to. So well, I went off the book, but um, sorry, that was important to say. <laughs> Sarah, what I can hear is just massive passion for what you do. You've got, you know, it's it's many, many um, years of experience uh, of working, connecting with people, relating it now to bringing up your own children. I mean, I think that's that's the that's the thing, isn't it? We all we all can look back and go, oh yes, it happened. It, the other thing that's interesting about um, different cultures um, and different um, environments is we will put up with some things for quite a bit of time before we'll actually go, that's it. This is going to stop and no longer is this going to happen. And when we decide that, we actually have to step forward. Um, and I find that that's an interesting thing. I was looking through um, your book and um, each of your chapters has um, a discussion, discusses, has an acknowledgement of various um, issues re relating to it and has some self-reflective questions. So it's not just a book about that you're just handing over the knowledge. It's actually an exploration and um, a basically a, a challenge to actually think think differently. So to, to think about the window that you look through or the, the type of lens that we're looking through. And so for, for gender, um, I think that's exactly right. What are the assumptions that we are making based on whether it's our family of origin, whether it's our life experience, whether it's um, uh, the bias that we have or the unconscious bias that we actually are not aware of. Um, but when we look at the patterns of our behaviour and the patterns of the behaviour of people around us that trigger us for an emotional response, um, well, it's critical for us to look that way. And all yep. the way through your book, you have, I believe, an emotional intelligence lens that's over everything. And we all know at the moment uh, the greatest worry in the last decade was that AI would replace humans uh, there would be no jobs or no employment for people using artificial intelligence, uh, um, you know, take over of employment options. But what I would like to add to the conversation today is that AI has actually made us connecting through a, a pandemic possible. Mm -hmm. Even though we may not like Zooming with each other or be living or, or doing that for the way that we're actually working all the time, it has still made our connections possible. You and I can look at each other in the eyes as we're talking. You can actually close your eyes and listen to the voice, to the tone of voice, to the language being used. You can actually get a lot of information. You can look at each other's body language. Um, it's There's actually some, some things that I think have been positive or more optimistic than we thought was going to happen. So AI for me um, is is a, is a tool. We've actually, if we enhance this and we're part of the conversation, we can actually use it for, for good. The same thing is around, I, I believe, is around leadership. Be part of the conversation. So Thriving Matters um, has talks to leaders around the world. Really, we we have a global approach because there's so much we can learn from someone who's running a school in Kenya, someone who's in, ahead of a, an organisation in the Netherlands, right? Someone who um, is is st has started up a not-for-profit, uh, say Cambodia. It, it, there's so much that we can we can learn from each other. And around gender, yes, there are some really strong cultural um, his, histories and traditions, and the way business is done. But more and more, we we are seeing each other as us, not mm. you and me, but us together. Mm. Um, and I, the, I was looking at some of the uh, the topics of your your chapters, the the way you've. So I'm going to share a couple of those with with our listeners. Uh, fascinating. I loved I love just the language that you use. So part one of your uh, your book you've you've divided into three parts. Mm -hmm. Four. 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 Uh, the conclusion. Yeah. Um, Part one, no honeymoon without engagement is one chapter. Then you have a look at, the, then there's another one, what you don't see will hurt you as a leader. 
-hmm. Patriarchic Paradox and Pain, The Blind Eye. Myth Smarters and Monsters, The Blind Alley. Mm -hmm. I think the, the language is just, and the imagery that your titles are, are bringing up is, is fantastic. Our flawed definition of leadership, why taking charge to take care could be the middle way. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting? Because many, for, for a long time, leaders always had to be sort of on the podium, right? Mm -hmm. Strong, forceful. But we have seen some of the most amazing um, examples of leadership during COVID where the leaders have, have led from the middle, from the middle, with, not for or on behalf of, but with. And I think that's, that's really strong. Competence doesn't, uh, does not equal competence. I actually think this is worth having a bit of a chat about because that was one of the things I was going to ask you. Can you give us a bit more of an idea of what you mean by confidence does not always equal competence? Because I, I believe that happens to women Mm -hmm. Maybe not so much to men, but I may be wrong. I may have made an assumption there. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's the perception, right? So when I, specifically when I was doing the interviews, it's very much the perception that well, women don't go for the positions because they lack the confidence, and we hear this this uh, fact, which we, we know to a degree is true, that women won't go for positions until they're absolutely one hundred percent sure they can do them, and and people assume that's because of lack of confidence. Now, I would severely challenge that, and I wonder why nobody has to this point. I really think it has everything. What we forget, though, is let's go back to leadership now. Now, if women are leaders, we know from the research that they will be uh, they will be scrutinised far more. First of all, it won't go much beyond the length of the skirt and the heels for a while, and then if it gets past that, you know, we'll actually get on to what did she say and do. You know, the mistakes will be, be remembered for longer and she'll be punished more severely. And as mm. we've already said, if she's successful, she won't be like, because we just don't like that in women. So we've got all these things going on. Now, women, they may not always be conscious of this, but they know this on deep, some deep level, especially the critical one. You know, if you get it wrong, so what do you do? Well, you cover your proverbial you-know-what, right? You do. What do you think I did with this book? She think I thought, oh, I'll write it on a plane freight house. Be fine. No, of course not. <laughs> Spent a year and a half covering my proverbial, you know, trying to make it as good as it possibly can be, ready for the deluge of what comes, you know, because that's what happens. So I, I, did I lack confidence? No. I've, I've vocalised my voice today. That yep. was there. In the beginning do i recognize that i have to cover it tighten it put bows on it uh yes i have to do that as a woman yes. and we have to do that and by the way why is that a bad thing if it's a substantive piece of work that we're doing whatever it is if we're putting a lot of quality and thought into it is perfectionism so bad shouldn't we actually be expecting more perfectionism from others rather than this advice of done is good enough sure sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't by the way i should leap in now and caveat no we shouldn't all be perfect no ladies you shouldn't all be you know have your hair curled and your long eyelashes on and you know you're feeding the baby with one hand and you're sending the email to the CEO and the other, no, I'm, I'm really not into any of that. I think we need to have very clear boundaries, do very little with our time and set our priorities right with who really matters here um, and what do we really want and who are we doing it for? So to go back to the confidence, competence things, uh, women and men were grow, but born with huge amounts of confidence. Things happen along our process of development and conditioning uh, that affect that. Now, we already know if girls are bossy, that's not okay, right? So girls learn very to be very quiet and modest is one of the gender norms for women we're supposed to be nice modest use all our available resource to look nice you know be uh, faithful family orientated all of these things men well men have got a quite wider choice of <laughs> they have a lot of a, a longer big free ticket that's okay. kind of a, um so you know the, you know the conflict here and then the, this other phenomenon this research we've got two things going on dunning kruger which is this idea the most confident people are actually the, the least competent so if we're all we all get in our car oh yeah i'm the best driver of course i do really think i'm a very good driver uh so you know that's rubbish i'm not because we can't all be the best driver but we all say we are right so yeah. but the people who say they are the best right i'm really bad driver because i'm i drive historically too fast and, 
other things <laughs> driven a lot. So now I would probably be in the, the lower left quadrant of no, 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 you, you could learn some skills, Sarah, you do things a little differently. Uh, and this is what Dunning-Kruger is, is this inflated idea of what we can do. And it's the, this idea that actually that cognitive ability to realize what you can't do is missing. So not only do you think you're way better than you are, that you're actually way worse than you are, you don't even have the cognitive ability to see it, which is the real danger here. So, And that's what we see, right? Oh, I'm amazing at this. I'm the best. And then those people are not making very good decisions for the rest of us. And this is serious stuff now. So we have to get into that. And then the other side is really competent people you know, this book, uh, hopefully six months ago, was already pretty decent, but I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if it's good enough yet. I don't know if I know enough. Yeah. You know, when you learn and you know more, you realize still how much you don't know. And that's mm. confidence, actually, and then you become quite modest. So we need to see these. You know, when we see overly confident people, we need to question that. When we see modest, quiet people who are a little bit, we, we need to question that. They don't always mean what they appear to mean. Yeah. And so for women... That there's that going on, the covering the behind, and the uh, lack of psychological space is another key one. So if you were if you were persistently told, "Oh yeah, you're, you're lucky to stay at home because your husband's rich," you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't it boring being at home? Yeah, all this stuff is distinctly uncomfortable. Like people are always making assumptions around you, and it goes carries off into the corporate world of. Oh no, she won't be able to pull that off. She won't be able to stand up and do that. Yeah, that has a big effect on people's confidence. But you see, it didn't come from them inherently. It came from the social situation. And the social situation is key for women in business and corporate world and leadership. And people tend to put you in boxes all the time. And then there's a lack of, it is a perceived lack of confidence, but I really think it's a lack of safety and knowing you have to keep doing extra, doing extra, doing extra, and it just gets too much. And people don't bother. It's like that. women are pretty sensible yeah. saying, you know, I'm not going to bother with that. <laughs> it's too hard. Yeah. While yeah. still taking responsibility for their own families, yeah. homes, et cetera, but often stepping aside because it's really not worth the battle. But unfortunately, it is, it is worth the battle. We need, we need to all fight for the responsibility of our communities and, and leading in an effective way. Sorry. Sarah, Sarah. I <laughs> the, um, Sarah, I was thinking about um, uh, uh, what you are hoping that um, your your book will um, how it will be used. So, you know, it's it's easy for someone to pop onto Amazon or any of the big uh, online sellers and go right there. It is that's I'm going to purchase that. Um, but if you were, just say, if you were um, in a leadership role in a large organisation, whether it's biz or business, doesn't matter what it is, or whether you're in education, um, how, have you got some thoughts on how you, people might best use it? it? I mean, I'm I'm open that people are creative in the way they do it. There's book, there's book clubs, there's there's lots of different things. But individually, you can you can pick it up and and do your own learning. Um, I loved it yesterday. I had uh, some uh, fantastic um, professionals around for for a gratitude afternoon, really, for for all the work that we've done this year, and it was just lovely. And instead of someone saying continual learning, I heard someone say, "Oh, for, you mean forever learning? We are forever learning." Mm -hmm. and thinking, oh, it's beautiful. So. Yeah. We when you when you've got this book, I mean, I I I think it's uh, an amazing resource. Number one, number two, it's so practical in in the suggestions of how you can go about using it. So, I'm I'm going to say to you, what do you what's the hope you have for how this book's going to be used, utilized? Uh, well, first of all, it gets out there, and we sort of move beyond where we currently are with the rhetoric of getting women to continually change and fix themselves, which is another nonsense at this point, and just unacceptable. I just can't abide where we're at with that. You know, women's networks and things have done a lot of good in terms of making women aware of the stereotypes yeah. and bias and giving empowerment. But enough's enough with now. You know, here's another confidence workshop. Oh, please. Um, you know, we need men in the conversation. Why on earth aren't they in the conversation? Who's, who's afraid of them? It, it, it really strikes me that there's an awful lot of women afraid of talking to men about this. Equality is that. 
yeah, it's men and women and however else you want to identify, gender identify. Inclusivity is that it's not a pile of women or a pile of the men in the men's club unless there's fear there. And there is fear there. And we didn't really talk about that, but that fear, like you, you mentioned earlier, Karen, with, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. You know, good people abound. People are a bit screwed up by conditioning or certain beliefs or certain myths that we have around all sorts of things. I don't fare so well, and there's an awful, awful, awful lot of them in our society now. We're all very anxious and fearful. There's a, there's a lot going on. And so um, we have to recognize it's just fear, yeah? People, people push up walls through fear. You know, the great man in the other land, it's a scared little boy who's never had the love he should have had. <laughs> we just deal with that fact. We'd all do a lot better, yeah? Um, this is what happens to people. So then they're going through trauma. And the book talks about that, especially with men, the psychology behind men that we've only actually also understood in the last 20, 30 years is that the conditioning of boys in itself is deeply traumatizing. Why? Because guess what? Boys are humans. They need to cry. They need to express emotions. Women, guess what? They need to be agentic. They need to take control of their own old lives and not be told how to live and not just expectations on them. So all this psychology and this trauma happens, and then this fear is sort of embedded. You know, so we have to we have to get through that. So the big part of me, my desire for the book is people get to that psychological part that I don't think is out there. And we understand each other's perspectives and people understand men way better because I, I'm not a man basher. I, I don't know what this man apologizer thing is. I love men. I love certain men. I love certain women. I love strong people. I love, I love people who have self-respect because uh, self-esteem because they can help other people. Um, and we need more of them uh, in the world. So the, my first wish was that this, this psychology gets out there and we understand, instead of saying, oh, men aren't interested, it's, it's not a rot. You look how many endorsements are in this book from men. Oh, men, are, men really care, ladies. So the sooner we get them involved in the conversation, the better. Thank you. Seeing um, to understand is one of my the things that I've found exactly and what's going I hear on. myself saying it. Yep. Yeah. 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 And then a book. Well, I have a I have a course. I ran this as a course as an executive ah. coach. So, uh, yeah. It's it's actually just been now accredited with the ICF as well because. Um, oh, congratulations! That's wonderful. Also, yeah. Well, we'll have to wait, but hopefully it should be. There's no reason why it shouldn't be. So yeah, it's it's a course I run anyway through my uh, through my work. It's also hopefully something that will get accredited because the, the the value of it is like like we're doing now, Carrie. It's the conversation. It's the yes. connect. Yeah, it's not about tick a few boxes in a diversity initiative, sit for an hour doing bias training. That's all just nonsense. And why on earth we haven't grasped that yet? I do not know either. But we need to move the needle. We need to have proper conversations. This should these behaviours should be embedded into everything we do. You know, every stakeholder we're talking with, every customer, every relationship we have. This stuff is critical to understand one of the males on the course one of the, somewhere along the line said wow this is information this is just relevant to everything and, and it is so um i think yeah the wish is that the message gets out there on the psychology um and there's a course to do it and you you can do it yourselves and leaders can take themselves through it but the value is in the conversations the value is in as, as so often is the case oh. in meaning, giving meaning sharing stories understanding oh she did it because of that not because of that oh he does it because of that not because of this that's so valuable for us and guess what we come together as humans instead of this kind of nonsensical idea of oh they're from mars and they're from venus which is us a clodswallop and we didn't talk about that carrie but i will just raise it because she's in your neck of the woods one of the other very important things about this book was I specifically spoke uh, at length um, with Professor Cordelia Fine, who is uh, world renowned in the area of gender and specifically disp displacing these myths around gender, which are everywhere. And we, we have to understand most of these, uh, that most of these things, when we talk about men are like this, women are like that, they are myths. They're not actually true. Of course, there are differences see them but it's it's and it's not all there are biological things sure there are other things going on we have to keep aware of that we need to look for all the differences and all the similarities and, and not close our eyes but to the, this binary of diaries this this and this the black and white that's the really bad and she has done so much work in exposing the neurosexism she called it which is 
you know, our, our, you know, for example, it's an example in the book, men's brains work very linearly and, yeah. and they're like waffles and women's brains look like spaghetti, you know, because we're so amazing at empathy and stuff. And it, it's not true. You know, yeah. And this is, does a great disservice to men. Men are excellent at empathy. I, I, I know so many men are so good at empathy and so good at emotional intelligence. And vice versa, right? And yeah. we know women who are really appalling at it. And the other way around, we know, you know, women are extremely good at STEM. They're super smart. We need to use these women's brains. I mean, this is such a crime to the world. We have all these super clever people and we've got, we need all the brains we can get right now. We have massive problems to solve. So can we please encourage people and get the best out of them? Uh, it's so important. That is such a beautiful way to to just close up our conversation today. I um, I was just thinking when you were talking about your leadership course, you know, listeners, if you um, would like to know more about Sarah and, and her work, uh, your website for Prodigy Leadership, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so best details, where we can find your book really quickly. Um, give us all those, those little bits. Yeah, because I think this is this is going to go like hotcakes. I think the, the, the time is right, but I think the gift you've given us is the extent of the research that you've done, the extent of the connections you've made, the conversation that is not a, a, about us and them. It's about us together. Together mm -hmm. we, we can understand each other. I, I think we've, we've actually uh, perhaps hurting ourselves more than we know um, mm -hmm. by, by being limited in the way we're, we're looking at, at things and how we have siloed. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of um, avenues in um, society at the moment have, quite, have become quite siloed. I'm an expert on this, this and this. Mm -hmm. Actual fact, mm -hmm. it needs to be human-centred, all our conversations. Yeah. We yeah. need to be able to... Actually, consider the social, emotional, the cognitive, the, the all all that together. Um, and our, I think then we look at the behaviours which you also talk about. What type of behaviours are we are we really wanting from the people that we're working with and those that lead us? Well, then that's that's really what we we need to concentrate on. So if we know ourselves. We do our own small amount of leading in the areas that uh, we're passionate about, but they also affect other areas of our life. So that makes us authentic. That, that's, we're not the hypocrite. We're not black and white. We're actually, we show up the same way in, in a lot of different situations. Absolutely. So tell us, where, tell us where we can find, number one, your book and your website. So give us the details. So the website is uh, www.progenyleadership.com and um, the book, yeah, you'll find it and order it at a bookstore or on Amazon or Kindle. Um, yeah, the Kindle, Kindle version is fantastic, yeah. isn't it? Well, now, just a last thing I'm going to ask you. If you had had a crystal ball, mm-hmm, would you have, did you picture the last 18 months of, of, of writing your book? Did you picture it differently? Uh, I, I, you know, you always want to get it done faster, Carrie. Everything is like, it always takes so goddamn longer. Yeah, and I think isn't that part of, you know, being the whole mum gig as well? I mean, there's so many other things going on. You have to put it down, pick it up, put it. That was very frustrating, I think. You're getting deep in something, you've got to put it down. And then it's almost like you've got to start all over again. So um, I I think it's like, yeah, yeah, you always you always want to achieve more and quicker. But um I I am delighted actually that it got deeper than I had even planned. I, I really am proud of it. I really it is a decent substantial piece of work that's had a lot of lovely, lovely recognition, which I'm yeah. extremely grateful for and extremely proud of. Um, so, and I, I don't think I, I don't think, you know, I probably did have a bit more the mentality of, yeah, and no, I'll knock something off on the aeroplane, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, and, and, but that's not me, uh, you know, if I'm going to do it right. So, oh, yeah, that, that's it. That's it. Oh, that's a beautiful story. I mean, that's often the case, isn't it? We all, we all talk about, well, if I had known it was going to be like this, I probably wouldn't have done it, but by heavens. I don't want to have to. I don't want to give that experience up because I learned so much about me, and I learned so much about 
others that I've been working with. The connections you made whilst you were doing this, phenomenal. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, just, just beautiful. In there, actually, some of them at site. Yeah, and that's a bit of shame of it, right? Even now, some people would like, well, I have to be careful with my work. I maybe shouldn't be associated with this. I, I need to check the internal policy, which is a big shame, but it shows you how far we've still got to go with it. So, yeah. 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 No, it's okay. It's privilege. Just before we and go. Privilege. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Vice versa. The. Um, just because we can, we're, we're getting very close to Christmas time. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of different cultures celebrate um, Christmas or do not, but they, they, whatever it is, there's no right or wrong here, it just is. But what we're really celebrating, I think, is, is humanity. There's some amazing kindness that's happening, but there's also some amazing um, depth of suffering at the same time. So if you had one one uh, perhaps offering for everybody, what would you like to share just before we move into the Christmas period from mm -hmm. 2020? From 2020. Well, actually, when you said it, Carrie, the immediate thing that came to mind, which is the end of the book, which is the, the meaning of the word namaste, um, which I'm not sure I can completely recite off by heart, but it's along the lines of, you know, I used to work, I was in Nepal, I lived in Nepal for a period of time and I, I went back there four times in a year because I really wanted to to be there with the people and uh you know you're always doing the namaste and the namaskar which is even more respectful and I think it's the meaning of that word if we could all carry that with us it would it would make a huge difference to the world and the really the meaning of the world is you know I, I am one with you you are one with me you know together with I, I don't can I read it can I find it I think, I think it's such a beautiful I think that was a lovely, I think that was a great question to ask you because uh, <laughs> you don't get it, you get, I, I'm, I get it. I have it, I have it. I, sadly I know this book uh, pretty much off by heart, apart from this quote of course. <laughs> I honour that place in you which the entire universe dwells in. I honour the place in you which is of love, of truth, of light and of peace. When you are in that place in you, and I am in that place in me. We are one. Oh. Namaste. Namaste. Sarah, thank you. Congratulations. It's wonderful to see it all in print. Uh, it's been delightful having you on Thriving Matters uh, podcast. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for, for that. Uh, listeners, if you have enjoyed the podcast today, Hop on to your favourite uh, podcast um, app, whether it's Podbean, Spotify, Apple, you name it, and give us a thumbs up. We all like a little bit of love. Um, but more importantly, if you really enjoyed this conversation, pass it on to someone who you know is really passionate about leadership, around gender dimensions of leadership, around what it is we can all do together so that we are part of a better world for everyone to live in. Sarah, thank you so much. We will be in touch. Thanks, Bye, everybody. I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters.